1: Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. If you
0: ask people, would you rather buy a stock at a 52-week high or a 52-week low? A big portion of people, they're going to tell you they'd rather buy at a 52-week low. And the reason that the shares have been going down for so long, that they must be due to go up. And it's a bit like saying, hey, there's this dodgy holiday rental down the coast that's next to a mozzie-filled lake. The bikers go there every year and tear the place up. But hey, I'm sure it's
1: going to be different next year. G'day and welcome back to Equity ASA, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today, I'm joined by Jason McIntosh from Motion Trader. Hi, Jason. Hi, Phil. It's good to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. So today, Jason and I are going to be talking about when to buy a share. We've done all our due diligence and we think that a company has a great future. But how do we know when the time is right to buy? Maybe it's when we should invoke the buy the dip strategy. What are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, Phil, buying the dip,
0: it's such a popular strategy. I think it's sort of like people really like that feeling of getting a bargain. It's a bit like that Boxing Day sale mentality. But look, you know, the thing is that the stock market isn't a department store and a discounted stock. You know, it can take a really long time to get back to its pre-discounted level if it does it all. So, I think it's really important to approach the stock market with a different sort of mindset. And I think a big challenge for the buy the dip strategy is like, how do you actually define what a dip is? Is a dip five percent? Is it ten percent? Twenty percent? Like, what actually is the dip? So, I think you need some sort of framework or some some rules around using that type of strategy. But I think for a lot of people, they seem to go off gut feel. And I'll tell you a story. It's just about during the early days of the the COVID crash. So I think we're about three days in, the All Lords was down about 6% in the first three days. And I get a call from my brother-in-law and he goes, hey, I've just bought some ASX uh, 200 ETF. Uh, And he said, look, should I buy some more? And I said, hey, look, just be a bit cautious about what you do here. You know, the market sold off aggressively and uh, we don't know what's going to happen next. So just be a bit patient and see what happens. And now I wasn't expecting anything like what we saw, but, you know, I thought, you know, when a market comes off, you don't stand in front of it and say, hey, I'll I'll take it on. You let the market do what the market's going to do. And look, I think he took that advice on board and he, he waited, but... Buy the dip, he got his ASX 200 ETF at a 6% discount, but you know, turned into a 30 35% discount. So it's a tricky strategy, and that's why you need this framework about like when you actually do buy. So it's not a case of saying buy the dip doesn't work. I think some investors use the strategy really effectively, but you'll find that these people often have some rules around what they're doing. So maybe it's a case of you buy just above a support level or you you wait for prices to bounce and then you buy the dip or you you buy a small initial portion and then maybe you buy some more as the shares or if the shares start to rebound but you know there's a little bit more to it than just a gut feel of hey you know this is 5% off today I should buy some and it's one of those strategies which can work really well in a bull market but it can also fail spectacularly when you're in a bear market so i think Investors need some sort of method of determining the direction of the trend and
1: identifying when it's changed. So as you say, a bull market is great for this kind of strategy. I mean, we've seen over the last year that you could buy a dip on one day and then the market and uh, the particular company would be up the next day. So like you say, in a bull market, it's a great idea. But then you've seen in, like you say, in the COVID crunch last year, and even during the, the global financial crisis, it was like this slow dip, this slow dripping downward movement every day, month after month. It's a completely different strategy when you're looking at bear markets.
0: Yeah, well, that's the the dip that keeps dipping. So this is where you've really got to be able to differentiate between what is a, a pullback within a bull market and what's an ongoing bear market. And I think a lot of people really struggle to explain the, the difference or recognize the, the difference in the two until you know it's way too late. Like you look at a stock like Telstra or AMP and- they've been disastrous investments for a lot of people if you'd bought them over any time. And look, Telstra's had some good periods, but by and large, it's been one of those stocks which has really struggled over a long period of time. So if you're saying, oh, look, it's down 5% I should buy, it became a real problem. AMP is another case in point where there were always times where the value could have seen value and saying, well, it's down 10%, it offers value, but you know, it keeps falling. So these are stocks where you can apply some, just some simple trend identification tools to say, well, there's a downtrend in place. We shouldn't be buying dips at the moment. We should be standing back. The time to buy dips is when you've got a, an uptrend in place. And you can just use, again, a simple moving average, you know, a, a 50 or a 100-day moving average, for example. And when the price is above there, and it dips, well, you might have some rules around that could be a time to take advantage of it. But I think the big question people need to ask when they're doing a, a buy the dip approach is what do you do if you're wrong? What if you buy and the price keeps dipping? And I think a lot of people don't really have a plan for this. Their strategy really hinges on being right. And when you look at a lot of portfolios, you know, which are really underperforming the market overall. You find that there's a lot of stocks languishing in those portfolios, which were probably, you know, had the entries around, you know, buy the dip, and that stock kept dipping, and there's been no strategy about what to do next. So people keep them in their portfolios, and look, they could be there two, three, four, five years, just being a dead weight on the overall um, capital base. So. Buying the dip as a concept, I think, is fine, but as I was saying earlier, you've got to have some structure and some rules around it, like when do you apply it, how do you apply it, and if it's not working once you're in, how do you unwind that that entry if it's not panning out the way you thought it probably would? And Presumably, averaging down is another strategy that's fraught with risk. Phil, I think averaging down is one of the most dangerous tactics in investing, and Really, it's a source of ruin for so many portfolios. Just at this point, I think it's really important to differentiate between dollar cost averaging into something like a managed fund and averaging down into an individual stock. Because like dollar cost averaging into a managed fund is a really good investment strategy for a lot of people. It could be through their super or, or another investment sort of sort of means. They might put you know $100 or $1,000, whatever it may be, into a managed fund or an ASX 200 ETF or whatever it might be every month. Mark it up, mark it down. They just keep doing it. And that can work really well over the longer term because it works on the basis that over the long term, the stock markets have historically gone up. And if you, you just maintain the discipline of investing and compounding, that whole process can work really well. But individual stocks are another kettle of fish altogether. And averaging down into an individual stock can really lead to a disaster because whilst the overall stock market has this long history of going up, individual stocks don't always go up. And the research and the analysis and all this is that a great many of individual stocks, underperform the market over time, and many of them go bust. So averaging down in individual stocks doesn't work the same way. And typically, the only time someone will average down is when their initial exit is wrong. And so rather than accepting an early error, they step up and they buy again. So they're effectively saying, hey, the market's got this wrong, and I'm right. Look, I think that's... A dangerous approach to take. I work on the assumption that the market's right and I'm wrong. The market's bigger than me. I'm not going to take it on because I I can't win. You know, people who fight the market have end up in trouble. I'll tell you this great story of, of averaging down. So some of the older listeners will. We'll probably be familiar with this, but some of the younger ones, it'll probably be, be new material. It's, um, it was back in the uh, the early to, to mid-1990s. And I remember this happening. I was on the trading desk at Bankers Trust at the time, and all this came up on the news feed as it was happening. So it was about this guy called Nick Leeson, and he worked at a bank called Bearings Bank. I think it was the oldest UK investment bank, and he was working in the Singapore office. And what Nick was doing, he was trading the the Japanese Nikkei futures. So the Nikkei being the Japanese stock index. And so Nick thought the market was going to go up, so he's buying buying futures in the in the Nikkei. And so his initial view was wrong. The market came down. He had a had a bit of a loss. Not a big deal. It happens all the time. You don't get everything right. You have losses and so the normal course of action for for someone trading that sort of product would be to cut the loss and and move on. Nick didn't do that. He thought he was right, so he thought, look, I'm going to average down, buy some more, and uh, I think I'll be right. So he did that. Market kept falling, did it again, and market kept falling. So you start to get this snowball effect. So rather than compounding in a positive way, he's compounding in a a elusive and highly destructive way. And He eventually lost control of the position and what happened, the margin calls coming into bearings were so large that he couldn't hide what he was doing anymore and the whole bank collapsed. He actually sent the bank bust by using an averaging down strategy and it's an amplified example of what can happen to an individual and I think a lot of people see averaging down the the same sort of way. They see it as this way to just to get back to even and look, say you buy a stock for a dollar, Falls to 50 cents, they might say, Well, hey, look, I'm already down 50%. I don't want to take that loss. But if I double up, I started with $1,000. So why don't I put in another $1,000? The stock only needs to get back to, say, 67 cents, and I break even. And I can then sell up and I can move on and no damage done. But I think that's a really negative way to invest because what someone who does that is doing is they're They're not looking for great opportunities. They're trying to recoup losses in a situation that hasn't been working. So I think it's really counterproductive. And the market's telling you that you got this wrong, but so often people will say, well, look, I'm going to take the market on and I'm going to throw good money after bad. But look, what they'd be better off doing would be to to sell an underperforming stock and then reinvest that capital into a new opportunity but instead they end up investing that capital into something that isn't working. And look, I think averaging down, it's going to work sometimes, but it really is playing with fire. And if you do it often enough, it's just a matter of time before you get stuck in one of those stocks that never recovers or goes all the way to zero. And you can really put a big hole in your portfolio if you've been backing one of these stocks all the way down. And if you're using leverage, well, then it's like playing with nitroglycerin. You know, it can really completely destroy, completely destroy your portfolio. And, you know, the risk of ruin, it just skyrockets. So even for the professionals, it's a deadly strategy. And there could be times, but, you know, as a general rule, super careful with something like averaging down.
1: So, what about buying into strength? I mean, intuitively, a lot of people don't want to buy into strength. They don't see that they're getting a bargain. Why does this make many people so nervous? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it gets back to this mentality of
0: what goes up must come down. And so, people will see a stock that's been rising and it's been doing well. And uh, they'll say, hey, look, this stock's had a good run. It's probably due for a fall. And they're overriding concerns, which is to you know not wanting to be the last person to buy so a bit of fear and hesitation kicks in and they tell themselves look it's now too late to buy I don't want to be the last in so I'm going to leave it alone and this is what they call the wall of worry so the wall of worries where you see a market rising and we start start worrying about some impending fall and I saw this sort of thinking a lot last year so I run a subscription based business giving stock market advice and a lot of the people who we would come in contact with were saying, look, hey, we really like, like what you do, but we think we'll just wait for a while because the market's had a bit of a run and it's probably due for a fall. This is mid last year. So the market bottom in March and then June, July, August, the market had been rising quite well and all this concern started to come in about, well, hey, the market's got to stop rising. And people would say, oh, the market's up, but JobKeeper's about to win. So as soon as that happens, it will fall or COVID's coming back in Victoria, so the market's going to fall. Or they'd say, you know, the UK is going to lock down again, or the US has elections. And I'm really keen to get into the stock market, but I'm going to wait for it to fall. So, you know, people find all these reasons to talk themselves out of the market. And, you know, it's funny, really, when you think about it, because we do the exact opposite in everyday life. So if something's working, we typically keep doing it. So say there's a Coffee shop you like, you keep going back to it because you know you like it, it works for you. If there's a, a holiday destination you like, you probably keep going back because you know you like the way it all works. And you know, some people go back to the same place for decades. But then you come to the stock market, and if the market's rising, or in other words, you could say if the market's working, a lot of people will tell themselves, oh, yeah, but it can't keep going, it won't keep working. So yeah, you've got this different way that we process the stock market to how we process other things. So look, for example, if you ask people, would you rather buy a stock at a 52-week high or a 52-week low? A big portion of people, a big portion, they're going to tell you they'd rather buy at a 52-week low. And the reason that the shares have been going down for so long that they must be due to go up. And it's a bit like saying, hey, there's this dodgy holiday rental down the coast it's next to a mozzie field lake. The bikers go there every year and tear the place up. But hey, I'm sure it's going to be different next year. But you know, we don't think like that. We'd go, that place is hopeless, never go there. But we look at the stock market and we go, this stock has beaten up. It's been down and out for the last year. Hey, that looks like an interesting opportunity. That's how a lot of people seem to approach the market. And it uh, doesn't really work like that. So down and out stock can become a great investment, but I think you've got to wait for some signs that that investment is turning around before you turn in and um, you know pull your stump up and buy.
1: Jason, I think I've been to that holiday park.
0: <laughs>
1: <It's> <laughs> next to a swamp, I believe. That's the one. That's the one. So risk is always part of investing. How do you believe that risk can be managed?
0: Yeah, it's um, risk is a really interesting thing. It's like, You can't control what a stock's going to do once you buy it, but you can control what you do in the lead up to the purchase and you can control how you manage the position once you're in. So there are several parts to this. So the first part is your position size. It's all about, for me anyway, it's all about having many relatively small investments instead of having a few big ones. This is really a natural risk limiter. So For example, if you've got a portfolio of 20 stocks, equal size investments, any one of those stocks could go to to zero and your overall loss would only be 5%. So, yeah, it's not a portfolio destroying moment. But a lot of people tend to do the opposite. They prefer to have a few big bets and they think that if you want to win big, you've got to bet big. So a lot's hinging on getting those few trades right. And that's very much how I started off years ago. In my late teens, it was like I'd go all in on, on speculative stocks, hoping to you know make a big big win early on. And you know, it never really worked out. I'd get a few stocks that went up, but then they'd come back down. I didn't have an exit strategy, so it just didn't go anywhere. And then the other, the other part of managing risk is to have a selling strategy. And there's two parts to this. So firstly, it's deciding when you're going to exit a losing stock, and then the other part is when you're going to sell a winning stock. And that's probably part which a lot of people don't really think about. So look, just starting with the loser. First, you've got to decide like, when do you call a quits? When's the stock not working and you've got to move on? And look, a losing stock could recover, but it could also keep falling. And the problem you have, it's not with the ones that, that recover, it's the ones that keep falling. They're the ones you've got to worry about. So what I do, I use an initial exit level of around 25%. Now, some people hear this and say, hey, look, I couldn't sleep at night if I could potentially lose 25% of my capital in a stock, but they don't really understand how this works within a portfolio because... Like, look, go back to that 20 stock portfolio as an example. Say you lose 25% on one stock within that portfolio. That works out to a loss of 1.25% for the overall portfolio. So it's a daily movement in the all ordinaries. It's not very much at all. And it's a really liberating feeling when you know that you can put on an investment and if it doesn't work out, you only lost one and a quarter percent of your portfolio. So it means you're less fearful of taking on risk which can really help you move forward and take some really good opportunities. Of course, you've still got market risks. If the All Lords collapses in another COVID-style event, yeah, you could lose 25% of your capital. But, hey, that's the stock market. The reward of the double-digit potential upside is what we get for taking on the risk of the market falling. You can't kind of have it both ways. And then the other side to this is managing the risk around a profitable position. So my approach is to let profits run, but I don't want to cap the upside potential by, by taking a profit too early. So for me, it's all about like having a strategy which maximizes my upside potential of letting a profit run, but also managing the risk of that stock coming back. And I do this through using a, a strategy called a trailing stop loss it's an exit point which tracks below a rising share price. And when that share price finally peaks and rolls over and turns lower, it will trigger the exit point and you get out. So you protect a big portion of your profits. That's the aim. It doesn't get the high, but it can get you that big middle portion of a trend where you can make a make a lot of the gain. So look, they're three the big keys for, for managing risk. You know, your position size, your portfolio construction, and then your, your exit strategy around exiting losers and
1: exiting winners. So your investing philosophy is all encapsulated in Motion Trader, the service that you provide to investors. Tell us about how that works. Yeah, so
0: Motion Trader it's a subscription-based investment service. And so what I do is I use share price data to identify medium-term trends in individual stocks. So by medium term I'm looking I'm really looking for stocks that could do well over the next say 9 months out to 2 years. And this is sort of the, the time frame where you can get some really big double digit, and also the triple digit gains. So stocks that might run 100, 200, 300 percent, that can all happen within that one to two year time frame. And I'm also using algorithms to do the analysis. So what's great about this is it means I can cover the entire market. So it's not just looking at the ASX 200. I'm able to find opportunities in big companies and small companies alike. And it's really interesting because some of the best opportunities are in stocks that few people know about. So having said that, that doesn't mean they're you know, $10 million market cap companies. There are some like, you know say, a $500 million market cap company, which is just inside the all ordinaries, which most people wouldn't know about. But you use momentum and trend-based strategies. Yeah, it really does help identify some of these opportunities. And look, the beauty of trend analysis is that a trend doesn't guarantee a stock's going to become a superstar, but all superstar stocks trend higher. So what trend analysis does, it puts you in the path of some of the best performing stocks. And I also calculated an exit level for for each stock. So yes, buying's important, but you've also got to have that exit strategy. And that's one of the things which I calculate and I provide members of my service. And look, also just quickly, in addition to the the buy and sell advice, I also do a weekly report. I call it a mentoring report. So it's all about explaining the process. So it's not just about you know, following someone else's buy and sell signals. I want people to understand how it actually works because I think when you understand something, you can follow it and use it better. And I'm always saying to my, my members, Good investing isn't a secret. It's a formula, and it's about getting the complete process, bringing it all together, and then applying it with consistency. And look, that's what I'm helping people do through my service. And
1: how can listeners go get in contact and find out more information?
0: I've got a, a four-part video series which really goes through the whole process that I use, which a lot of people find useful, even if they don't use my service, they just take the process on board. And I've set up a, a page for that. It's motiontrader.com.au forward slash ASA. And uh, yeah, look, that'll give people the opportunity to learn a bit more about how it all works in the land of looking for momentum and trends and share prices and using a process.
1: Jason McIntosh, thanks for joining me today. Bill, it's been fun as
0: always. Thank you for having me on.
1: If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of Equity ASA. Important, please remember these podcasts are produced to provide information and education, and they're not designed to provide financial advice, nor are they a recommendation to buy shares in the companies featured or discussed. The Australian Shareholders Association does not endorse or favour any specific commercial product or company. Please obtain independent professional advice before investing. We value your feedback and questions. Please contact us at share at asa.asn. If you have any suggestions for guests or specific questions you'd like answered.